carrying on with our story on, the, on uh, our free preachers on the prophetic. They reckon that if you work in banking, you one of the things you need to be quite good at is spotting a forgery. Okay, it's quite an important skill is to be able to spot a forgery. But forgers are always coming up with new forgeries. So you can't study every single type of forgery they're going to come up with because there'll be a new one all the time with new technology, new developments, new printing, new sophistication. So what they tell people in banking to do is to become super familiar with the authentic. Because if you know the authentic perfectly... You don't really need to know about all the different types of forgeries there might be. You'll be able to spot a forgery immediately because you know the authentic. You know how the authentic feels, what the paper feels like in your hand. You'll know what the, the line, the silver in it is. You'll know the texture of the paper, all those kind of things. So there's something about being people in banking that know the authentic so they can spot the counterfeit. Now, we're doing a series on hearing God's voice, the prophetic, that God is today very alive and very active, that Paul says in Corinthians, uh, earnestly seek the gift of prophecy, which is really hearing God's encouragement, God's comfort, God's exhortation, hearing that and bringing it to other people, that God is very much speaking today. And... If we're going to be people who grow in it, being able to speak comfort and encouragement and exhortation, both in the church and as we go, then we need to know what is the authentic voice of God and what's the counterfeit. So that we're really clear on what does God sound like and how does God speak is a really important thing that we're understanding his character and the way he speaks, and the way he addresses us, so that we can be absolutely confident in the things that we bring to others. So let me tell you, there is a, another voice out there, there is a counterfeit voice out there, that, that actually is troubling lots of believers. And there's a counterfeit voice out there that is causing believers, Christians' minds to be absolutely jam-packed with things that is troubling them, causing them discomfort, crowding out God's voice, and actually stealing confidence that comes from hearing his voice. And I want to talk, really, how do you distinguish between the authentic voice of God and actually what comes into our minds that is actually the counterfeit? I want us to be like bankers who are so good at handling the authentic voice that we're very quick and able to say, actually, no, that's a counterfeit, that's a counterfeit, that's not real, this is the authentic, no, that's not real, because we're clear on how God speaks. We're clear on what God's voice sounds like. Because I think in this room there'll be many of us, if not all of us, if not every day, that get impacted by the counterfeit voice that actually can drive us and trouble us and crowd out our, our minds and cause us to struggle to feel confident as those who follow Christ. And so I want us today to be able to leave this place with a newfound confidence that you know what the authentic sounds like so you can quickly reject anything that is not authentic. The Bible talks about uh, the devil 
and uh, it talks about him being a fallen angel who rebelled against God, who wanted to be like God and be worshipped as God. And it talks about in Isaiah and Revelation being cast down and uh, in a sense this one who was this beautiful creature who some scholars say led worship and led people to encounter God and love God wanted to be like God and got cast down. Now, his name means to strike and to stab. That's what the word devil means. He's a striker and he's a stabber. That's what he does. And Revelation talks about him 24 hours a day and seven days a week. He likes to stab and he likes to strike believers. Now, you might think, I could never be duped by a voice that stabs and strikes. Um, you might think, I can, that kind of, if I heard a voice that is going to stab me and strike me, I would be able to very easily discern that that's not authentic and that's not the authentic voice of God. But let me say that actually, the, Paul says, don't be, we need to know the wiles of the enemy, the skills of him, because how he comes in is he comes under the radar and he comes in with what the Bible calls accusation. And so his striking and his stabbing isn't a voice that says, go out and kill everybody. Because I think we would know that. I think we would know that that's the counterfeit voice. We would very quickly know that's not an authentic voice. That's not how God speaks. God's a God of love and mercy and peace. He's not going to speak like that. But this counterfeit voice that strikes and stabs comes in under the radar because he accuses and often his accusation has a hint of truth in it. And so it works a bit like this. This voice comes in and says, you're not, you're not actually a really, really good mum, are you? You're not a really good dad, are you? Uh, you don't always give 100% at work, do you? I saw that conversation. I, I saw what was going on in your heart. It wasn't very pretty, was it? Oh, I know you put a nice mask on, but I, did you see what was going on under? And then we said, oh, God's speaking. He's, he's, he's wanting to mature me. He's wanting to change me. He's wanting to, a biblical word, sanctify me, change me from one degree of glory to another. Oh, it is his speaking. But it's actually coming in as stabs and strikes. And this counterfeit voice actually has no intention whatsoever for our maturity, for our freedom, or for our growth. He hasn't come with an agenda to change us for the better. Now, it might have a hint of truth but it was never spoken to help us overcome the very thing that it was speaking about. It was spoken really to cause us to look inwards, to lose our confidence in the gospel and get on a treadmill where we believe that we can please him through a methodology of self-improvement, debilitating, paralysing introspection that doesn't lead to confidence in God or his love, but leads us to try and work our way to try and please him. In other words, the voice 
always has this intention. It wants to cause the Christian to shoot him or herself in the foot. That's really the goal of it. So that the end result is this. I am not qualified or equipped to hear his voice because of all these things that have just been accused. All these things that have just accused me. All these things that have a hint of truth that rob our confidence. You didn't really react well. You didn't give enough. You didn't pray enough. You didn't fast long enough. You were only one day away from your breakthrough. But you stopped at day three. The breakthrough was day four. You, you should have read four chapters. You only read two. The breakthrough was in chapter four. You missed it. This is going to be a rubbish week. You slept through the alarm. If you hadn't slept through the alarm, you'd have got his pleasure and today would have gone better. You didn't, that didn't go well because you didn't do that well. Strike, stab, strike, stab, strike, stab. Shoot yourself in the foot. Oh, I am a worm. I am a wretch. I'm going to hide myself from God. And I will go to self-improvement camp. I don't know how long I'll be there. But when I come back, God, you're going to see a better, improved, glistening version of me. Oh, God, you're going to love the new version of me. It's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. He prays more. He reads more. He does everything more. It's better improved me, and you're going to love the new me. Let me just say, though, there is a function of accusation that is life-saving. Eternity rescuing. I'm, I've talked all of that and said, this is the danger of the accusation. This is the danger of it pointing out. This is the danger. I just want to briefly say there is something precious about what the Bible calls the law. There is something beautiful about the law. The law which is what God did in the Old Testament, was beautiful because it pointed out the fact we couldn't save ourselves. There's something beautiful about the law. There's something beautiful about the Ten Commandments. There's something beautiful about those Old Testament commands of you've got to be like this and you've got to be perfect because it rescues our soul. The, the law is like the MRI scan in a hospital. It's like you measure yourself up to the standard of God and the perfection of God and you realise, I fall short, I fall short, I fall short, I don't love my neighbour as myself, I fall short, I don't love God with everything, I fall short, I fall short, I, I do covet, cover. there are things I wish I had that other people have got, I am this, I am that, I have taken his name in vain, I have done all of that. There's something beautiful about what the law does in the way it accuses us rightfully of the fact we've fallen short. It's like the MRI scan. It takes us in and says, problem, problem, sickness. There's a problem here. 
There's a problem here. It's like the MOT for the car. That's what the law is. It takes, it's a diagnostic. It takes a human being in and it points out and says, this is the perfection of God. This is God's standard. This is God's perfection. This is your life. You've fallen short. The law points out that we are crooked. <laughs> that the law points out that we're not perfect. The law points out that we have fallen short. The law points out that perfection is God. Mother Teresa maybe gets there to the sky. Hitler gets right down there. But the Bible says all have fallen short of the glory. In other words, he's so much more perfect and holy than we are. And the law rightfully accuses us. Jesus says, look, I don't accuse you to the Father. The law accuses you. The function of the law was this. Saviours don't accuse, they save. If you're thinking you can get right with God by keeping the rules, a set of rules, it will never save you. The law's function is this. In the ancient world, there was someone called a child collector. Their job was to was a slave, was to take the children to school. It would come and collect the children from the household and lead them to school. That's the law. The law points out your failures, your weaknesses, the things you could have done and you didn't do and should have done and you didn't do and the things you said and you wish you'd never said and the things you thought you wish you could take back. The law points all that out. Not so that it can then say, now if you try harder, you might get to the ceiling in a million years. The law points out that there's a saviour. He comes and grabs us by the hand and says, I'm going to take you to the saviour. I'm going to take you to Jesus. And so when Jesus died on the cross... The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Friends, we deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. The consequences of falling short of the glory is to die. And so God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to die in our place for us as us. So all the righteous, holy anger of the awesome Father God's poured on Jesus, not on us. So that the spotless one becomes the most maligned, guilty one who's ever lived. What He became what he was not. Sin. He's the holy Lamb of God. He's the God-man. Jesus never sinned in thought or word or deed, in attitude or emotion. In no way did he ever sin. And yet on the cross he's treated as if he's the worst sinner who has ever lived. He's taken outside the city, the place of shame. He's stripped naked, he's crucified in front of everybody. And in that moment he says, why have you forsaken me? Heaven turns like brass. Heaven looks away. The Holy One becomes sin. 
in our place and dies the death we should have died and fulfills the law for us so that what we were not, which was perfect, we were not perfect, we get perfection given into us. And so if you're not a believer here this morning and you read the Bible and it accuses you, rejoice. Run to the Saviour. Grab the whole hand of the law and say, lead me to Jesus. Lead me to him. Because in a moment, he'll make you righteous. In a moment, he'll clean up your heart. In a moment, he'll give you a new name. In a moment, he'll give you a new nature. In a moment, he will change you and make you holy, holy, holy acceptable before an awesome God. If you are a believer this morning... The law and its accusations and its stabbing and its striking is an illegitimate voice for the believer. It is an illegitimate voice for the believer. The law is good if it is used lawfully. Not for the believer, but for those of you who don't yet know Christ. Let it drive you to Christ. Let it take you by the hand to Jesus. But if you are a believer here, you know Jesus... You know him and you listen to a voice that tells you, strikes and stabs you with accusation. Even if it's got a hint of truth, it's an illegitimate voice. It's a counterfeit voice. It is not the voice of God. It has not been sent to improve you. It has not been sent to mature you or sanctify you or change you. But to rob you of your confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You've got to get to know how he speaks. Jesus Christ is the saviour. He is not an accuser. Uh, Saviours do not accuse, they rescue and save. Let me just read you a couple of verses. Colossians 1, 21. Once... You were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you are a Christian this morning... This is the assessment of God about you. You are holy, you're without blemish, and you're free of all accusation. Listen to this one. When you were dead in your sins, this is number chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, look, In other words, when you couldn't got any worse, okay? When you were dead, when you were an enemy, when you were far from God, when you were doing nothing to impress God at all, when you were dead, this is what God, this is God's reaction to our deadness and our rebelliousness and being enemies. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, 
nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He cancelled the charge. He cancelled the charge. You were in the court of heaven and you were guilty. The law pointed out the fact you'd, you hadn't loved God with all your heart and with all your mind. You hadn't loved your neighbour as yourself. Guilty. And you're waiting for the hammer to come down and say, guilty, punishment, separation eternal, execution. And then you hear this, I've cancelled the charge and your legal debt that you owed heaven has been paid for you. How? I owed millions and millions and millions and millions of pounds, as it were, if we put it in money figures. I couldn't have paid that back if I'd lived a million lifetimes. I couldn't have ever paid it back. And then you hear a voice say, everything that was against you has been cancelled. The charge of our legal indebtedness that stood against us and condemned us has been taken away, nailing it to the cross. And so when the enemy comes with his counterfeit voice and says, you're not a good mum, are you? You're not a good dad, are you? You don't really do your work the way you should, do you? I see you sometimes on Sunday worship and then your mind goes everywhere. I see it. I see the prayer time you planned and you didn't get you didn't get the new alarm, did you? Oh, you've got to try hard, you've got to read more, you've got to do more, you've got to, you've got to you can say it's been cancelled. My legal indebtedness that stood against me and condemned me has been taken away. It was now to Jesus Christ on the cross. So I don't know what you're talking about. The court of heaven has been adjourned and I got found not guilty. I'm free. You don't, if you watch the TV show called Banged Up Abroad. Now I love that show. The premise is not the most godly. And they are all guilty in the show, okay? <laughs> guilty of forms of smuggling, often from Peru. And the show works like this. They get tempted, and they get caught, and they go to prison. That's the show. <laughs> and at the end of the show, most of the time they're out of prison... So in the one where they're arrested in Mexico City, the camera does pull back and they're in this overcrowded Mexican prison cell. It's terrifying. What you always hear them say at the end of every series, and there are six seasons, okay? So if you're going to get into it, it's going to be a lot of work. Just, just a heads up, it's going to take a lot of discipline to work yourself through that. They always say this. I now look at freedom differently. I now look at the privilege of freedom differently. I now look at the fact I can walk into the countryside when I want to and go where I want and I can have meals when I want. You never, never, never find them say, every now and then when I'm not sure if I'm free, I ring up Mexico and ask them if they've got my cell free because I want to go in and just sample it. They say, crazy. You're a free man, enjoy your freedom. In all these cases, they do pay the penalty that they deserved 
for their crime in the, in the prison system. For us, it's that Jesus did it for us. That we were guilty. And he steps in for us, takes all the consequences, which was the cross, the crucifixion, death, separated from the Father, all of our legal indebtedness, and then he pays for it. What he doesn't expect us to then do is every now and then go into the prison cell and say, I'm just a condemned prisoner. No, you're not. That's the court of your mind. There's a higher court that says not guilty. We've got to live in the good of what he says, of what those verses say. So he will never accuse, he saves. You are free of accusation. The charges have been cancelled against you. So if you want to know how he speaks, look at Galatians. Galatians 5.22 is how God speaks. So it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of a person. This is how God speaks to God. Okay? The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. They speak with love. They speak with joy. There's peace. There's forbearance, or what Rob's word there was patience, another way of saying that there's kindness, there's goodness, there's faithfulness, and there's gentleness, and there's self-control. This is how God's voice is. He will speak with love towards you. He has joy when he speaks to you. He absolutely loves you. Was that painting there says, God is especially fond of you. God is especially fond of you. And he has joy. And he's peace. And he's patient. And he's kind. And he's good. And he's faithful. And he's gentle and full of self-control. In other words, he doesn't go off on a crazy bad mood day and lose control. That's how God speaks. If you read the Bible and come away hopeless... Can I just say you've most probably interpreted it wrong because he's the God of all hope. If when we're in his presence, there are times when we weep and we cry and we mourn and we repent. But if that's all you ever do, you maybe are not in his presence as often as maybe you think, because in his presence is fullness of joy. Maybe. What we think is in his presence is sometimes coming in to be striped and struck and struck and struck. And then we think, I've got more joy when I'm away from him than when I'm near him. That's because you're not discerning the authentic voice of God. You're listening to the counterfeit. So, embrace the gospel. Embrace the truth of the gospel. Declare over yourself, break off all self-limiting things over your own life. That I can't hear his voice, that he doesn't speak to me, that I'm not good enough to hear. I haven't read enough to understand and hear. I haven't prayed enough, done enough, fasted enough, X, Y and Z enough. Break off every single label that says you can't hear. The only qualification you need to hear his voice is that you've come to Jesus. That you've trusted in the gospel. That you've trusted in the finished work. Break off every self-limiting belief. Hearing his voice is your birthright. My sheep know my voice. If you're his sheep, if you've become a Christian, 
you can know his voice. It's your birthright to hear his voice. The one who lives in you is longing to speak. And what we have to get away is the stabbing and striking voice that crowds out his voice and say, no, I'm only going to listen to the authentic voice of God that speaks according to the fruit of the Spirit, that's not accusing me. Let me say this. Sometimes when we, listen, we read the story of the woman at the well, um, the woman at the well, she comes midday to get water because she can't come when everybody else comes to get water because her life is so broken. She's had so many different relationships. The person she's living with right now, she's not married to. She's got loads of reasons why she feels shame and separation. And so she comes at the well at midday, the hottest part of the day. Jesus is there and he speaks to her. And he begins to tell her about her life. And it unravels that actually her situation isn't right. Sometimes we put ourselves in the character of Jesus, giving the word of knowledge. Dare I say, we are the woman at the well. (laughs) We're the woman at the well. Yeah, Jesus, actually, he speaks in the truth into our life. But that woman is not crushed. That woman is not ostracised from Jesus. That woman is not rejected. That woman comes alive and goes back to her village and immediately becomes the evangelist to her whole area and brings people to Jesus. Here's one who knew everything about me but didn't condemn me, didn't crush me, didn't reject me, but empowered me and, and has shown a way that there's a forgiveness Jesus gives his most, his greatest, his first great revelation of who he is to the woman at the well. To a woman. Rabbis were not meant to speak to women on their own. Certainly weren't meant to teach them. And to a sinner. And to a Samaritan, who the Jews despised because of the historical reality of what had gone on in Israel and North and South. He does all of that to this person who really should have been rejected. The woman caught in adultery. And he says, if if you're perfect, in other words, you've done nothing against the law in any way, you can throw the first stone. One by one, they disappear. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, sin no more. He speaks to us, and even when he exposes our heart, grace straightens us out. The law just points out where you're crooked, points out where you're crooked, and then does no more. Grace points out where you're broken, then empowers your life to be straightened out. Grace does teach us to say no. Grace doesn't sweep everything under the carpet and says, oh, well, it doesn't matter anymore. Grace does lead us to repentance. His kindness does lead us to repentance. But grace never strikes, never stabs. It empowers radical repentance that leads to wonderful freedom. In his presence, he will speak. In his presence, he will point out the broken spots. In his presence... He will change us. 
I, I just want to finish with this. And I heard a guy, I heard this week a, a, an amazing guy called Randy Clark. And Randy Clark is an American vineyard pastor who has been used by God, I believe, to kick off three worldwide revivals. And he is the man, if you don't know, who spoke in Toronto, Canada, in uh, January 1994, that kicked off what became known as the Toronto Blessing around the world. Randy Clark had been leading a church of 50 people. And uh, John Wimber, who was leading Vineyard, heard God say, invite Randy Clark in because I want to use this man greatly. He, so he's, he's leading a church of about 50. If you read his story, he comes from um, incredible brokenness um, in terms of his mum and dad and the circumstances around his birth. And then later on, he gets married and he's divorced. And he, he, God gives him a wonderful wife. And they get married, and he says that in the daytime he was preaching, the Holy Spirit was moving powerfully. In the daytime, he was getting inner healing. In other words, God is using him to kick off an amazing worldwide revival. And in the daytime, God is, is graciously working in his heart and changing his heart and bringing healing and transformation. And so God is using him marvellously and fixing him as well at the same time. And this, I'm going to read you this is sort of a quote, paraphrase from what he says at the beginning of a preach. Not everything we do by choice. In other words, he's saying, not everything he was doing in his attitudes and reactions were just by choice, that he could start or stop. He said, sometimes the wounds, our broken spots, take away our choices. We must be more merciful and less judgmental of ourselves. While we don't understand everything about ourselves, he understands us perfectly, and nothing escapes him. He's a God of grace, because he understands our brokenness, our wounds, our issues. He is much more merciful. He makes grace available because he understands our brokenness. Listen, I'm not, I'm not taking us over to the scale of what the Bible says, licentiousness, where it basically means grace covers everything, it really doesn't matter how you live. I'm not saying that. Paul says, actually, we're not, we're not that. What I'm saying is, could it, could it be that because every sin that we ever sinned when Jesus died on the cross was all future, wasn't it? And so he died for all of our sin. Could it be that we'll be changed quicker and transformed quicker could it be that part of embracing the lift that takes us up that Rob spoke about is embracing his grace and being less judgmental and more merciful to ourselves? Could it be that 
sometimes we just come to God and say, look, there are things that I do and react and think and struggle with. I've got wounds. I've got broken spots. I've got areas that need changing. And I only know a hint of what that is and you know the whole thing. I'm just going to come into your presence and I'm going to enjoy you. And I'm going to worship you because you understand it all perfectly already. And nothing ever escapes you. I just see the tip of what I need changing. You see everything. God, there are no skeletons in the closet with you. There are no hidden areas that you don't know perfectly about. And because you're a God of grace, and because you understand my brokenness, and my wounds, and my issues, and because you're far more merciful than I could ever be, I receive your grace. Could it be that by just embracing the gospel and resting in the finished work of Jesus, that more gets changed than listening to the striking, stabbing voice of an accuser who has no intention to bring us to fruitfulness or freedom? Could it be that just by deciding, I will not make my sanctification, my maturity, my growth the central issue but I will make loving and worshipping you the highest thing in my life. And that in your presence, where you see everything, those areas, those broken spots, those wounds can be changed. And that God, it's not that we're saying, I will not repent, or I won't change my mind about it, or I won't take the steps that you give me to take. I'm just not going to make those steps the main thing. I'm making Jesus Christ and, and the finished work of the cross the main thing. And so in conclusion, be disciplined about listening only for the authentic voice of God. Believer, don't allow the counterfeit voice to drive you. Can I just invite us to stand and we're, we're going to finish off. There's some good smells coming from the kitchen.